Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 4. When uh, we decided we were going to do this series, I, I really got excited. I love the book of Revelation. Some people are a little scared of it. You shouldn't be scared of it. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, and Peyton did a great job last week in getting us started out as he took on, tackled, really, those first three chapters. Um, because Revelation begins with this amazing encounter that John has with Jesus. Jesus says, here's a letter I want to write. And I want you, John, to write this letter. And I want you to record the things that you're going to both hear and see. Can you imagine Jesus coming to you like that? I mean, it's just amazing. And he says, I want you to deliver it to these seven churches in Asia Minor, which I believe seven is more symbolic. Uh, it's, it's really more of a completeness of all of Asia Minor is going to hear these things. But today, we're going to go into Revelation chapter 4, because Revelation 4 is the beginning of the rest of this book. It is a vision or visions that John experiences that are so fantastic. Now, before we get into it, I want you to just imagine for a moment that I come up to your home and I knock on your door. More than likely, you'll open the door. You might even let me in. But if I were to go to the White House and I want to go knock on the door at the White House, I'm probably going to be tackled, tased, door shot, maybe all three, before I ever get to the door, because, because that's the president of the United States. He has tremendous power. You don't just invite yourself. You just don't go up to the White House. Someone, you have to be invited into someone who has so much power and influence. So I want you to imagine, as John is going to be invited into the throne room of heaven, now we're ready. Notice the first six verses. After this, I looked and a door, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was it, there as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Just imagine this powerful imagery, if you can. Being invited into the door of heaven opens. It's similar to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, all of a sudden, the, the heavens opened, and he began to see these visions. So if you know about the Apostle Paul, he was taken up to the third heaven, and he wasn't allowed to tell what he saw or heard. But now Jesus tells John, I want you to tell people what you see. 
I want you to tell them the things that you hear. Folks, we are getting access into the throne room of heaven. The throne is, is a focal point of this book. In fact, it's structured in such a way. 62 times in the New Testament, the word throne is used. 47 of those times are found in the book of Revelation. We find many things that are recorded and experienced by the prophets of the Old Testament. That shouldn't surprise us because you're going to see it all through this book. And when we talk about the throne, we need to understand that this was not just something the Old Testament prophets, it was only relevant to them. It was relevant to these Christians in the first century. And it, yes, it is absolutely relevant to us in our day and time today because the throne you see, it's not a piece of furniture. It's rather symbolic of the very authority and rule of God. And this was supposed to be comforting to these persecuted Christians. And it should be comforting to us when we go out into our world tomorrow and throughout this week and it feels like the world is winning. But much of this in this book is not interpreted for us. It's just not. I wish it was. The fact of the matter is we don't know who these these 24 elders are sitting on thrones and crowned. We can speculate. Uh, some speculate these have to do with the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, and it represents all the redeemed of God for all time. Some think maybe it has to do with the 24 rankings of the Levitical priesthood. Here's the thing we just don't know. And we, we read just now, it's, it says, you know, the, there were things that were like a trumpet, not that it was. There's this appearance of jasper and carnelian. It was as if it were glass. It was like crystal. But what we find is this picture of brilliant colors and jewels signifying to us the splendor and the majesty of the throne of God. God is the focal point of the throne room. And the throne of God, folks, it is the center of the universe. The best thing for us to do sometimes when we come into this book, you wonder, how do I read it? Sometimes I don't know what all these things are, but sometimes I just need to stand back in awe and wonder of what it's putting before me. Listen, don't go looking for Russia meeting China in the book of Revelation. You know, there's some that that's what they think it's talking about. Don't go looking for Hitler, as people, some of you may remember those days. Don't go looking for the Pope. There have been those who have tried to do so. Some have even seen the Proctor and Gamble symbol in the half moon in Revelation. And because of this, we've confused serious readers with this kind of reckless interpretation. As the year 1000 was approaching, there were Christians who believed that Jesus was coming. And they did so because in the book of Revelation, it talks about the thousand years when you get into chapter 20. And so they sold their possessions. They, they didn't prepare for the future because they believed he's coming based on their reading of Revelation. Well, guess what? 2,023 people 
It didn't happen. And we laugh at that. We're thinking, oh, are you crazy? Some of you may remember Y2K. You remember coming of 2000. And there were those who believed Revelation was teaching that Jesus is coming again. He's coming in the year 2000. Don't look for something behind every description. Stand back in awe. There are some things that are going to be crystal clear to us. It's going to be revealed to us, such as, you know, it talks about, you know, the, there are the seven stars and the, the seven lampstands. And he tells us those are the seven churches and their angels, which that's an interesting study within itself, isn't it? In, in a few weeks, in a few weeks, I've started studying this. We're, it's going to talk about red dragon. Yeah. But guess what? He tells us what it is. The red dragon is Satan. Sometimes it tells us who it is. But here in Revelation 4, we are being brought into the throne room of heaven. And that is much more important than knowing, rather than guessing, who are these 24 elders sitting around in thrones. It's here we discover one of the first and great points of Revelation chapter 4, and you can write it down, you can take a picture of it, you can memorize it. In fact, I would memorize it. And it's simply this, God is on his throne and the world is not spinning out of control. What do those words mean to you? What do those words mean to you when, when tomorrow you pick up a newspaper or you're going to watch the news tonight or whatever it may be, and you hear about war and you hear about genocide and you hear about political chaos and murders and conspiracy theories and, and, and society's acceptance of immorality? John shows us heaven first before he tells us anything that's happening and the chaos that's going on on the earth. Because that's important to know what's happening in heaven before we realize what's happening on the earth. Some are frightened by these wild creatures, these beasts that we're going to read about in, in the book of Revelation. But the God of creation, he's going to carry out his plans. He's going to defeat evil. Folks, you see this. It's very important. You see the one who's sitting on the throne. Oh, yes, there are things that are very clear. And some of the most clear things that come out to us are the songs. They become teachable moments to the reader. The Baroque-era composer, you may have heard of him before, George Frederick Handel, he chose the songs from this book to give the main themes to his famous musical, you might have heard of it, Messiah. See, I think I have. Hallelujah, right? Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He chose those books, those songs of deliverance. Oh, we're going to meet some of these songs. In fact, we're going to meet one of them right now. Let's open up and let's continue reading. It's, let's go to the second part of, of uh, verse 6. And it says, And around the throne... On each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, here it is, 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. These four living creatures play a very significant role in the events that are going to unfold, and Peyton's going to talk about some of that in a couple of weeks. But again, we're left speculating, who are these four living creatures? They're kind of strange, aren't they? Some believe they are cherubim. I think that's a very, very possible, a real possibility because in the book of Isaiah, we read of, of these seraphim. They had six wings. They're saying, holy, holy, holy before the Lord in that vision. But we're frightened by these creatures because what does it say in the text? They got eyes in the front and in the back. Folks, that just simply means that these creatures are aware it means that they are alert and knowledgeable. Nor that they are like the four creatures that, that seems a little bit strange to us. One's a lion, another one is like an ox. One has the face of a man, another one is like an eagle in flight. And we see that, and we're like, that is weird to us. Man, can you believe they put this stuff in the back, and yet we realize these four living creatures come all the way back to the book of Ezekiel. And when you read about Ezekiel, these four living creatures are the ones who are holding up. They are the foundation of the throne of God that has now been placed on wheels so it can move with Israel as it goes into captivity. But there's a lot about these living creatures that we don't know but they're not what's important. We're not supposed to focus on them. We're supposed to focus on the one that they worship. We learn a lot about worship in this text. We've come today. Some of you say, you ready to go to worship? It's time to go to worship. Let's go worship. What does that even mean? We learn what it's all about right here in this text. It is the recognition of who God is, what he has done, or what he has promised to do. Whether you realize it or not, worship is about him. It's not about us. He is the Lord of creation. Who can compare to the Lord God Almighty? In fact, why don't we join in with the four living creatures and let's, let's sing as if we are before the throne of God this morning. Close your eyes if it helps you. I think it's going to be a song you're familiar with, but let's sing it. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee holy 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 merciful and mighty god over all and bless eternally let's keep reading 
Start in verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The chorus of the four living creatures, it swells as now the 24 elders, they get off of their thrones and they bow down before the throne and they, they cast their crowns before him. They worship him. They, they express their submission to the one who's on the throne, to his authority. He is worthy to receive glory and honor and power, which in the Greek, it's in, a, it's in the definite article. It means the glory, the honor, the power. He doesn't receive some of it. He receives all of it. The Lord, no one shares what is rightfully his. And the Hebrew word for glory, it's the word kabod. And it's a word that simply means weighty. The one who sits on the throne is the heavyweight champion of the universe. That's why they cast their crowns of authority before his throne. There's a wonderful account that is given of Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria once said that, uh, actually she was, uh, the chaplain had given this lesson on the second coming of Jesus and at the, as she was coming out of the door, she told the chaplain, she said, Oh, I hope that the Lord comes in my lifetime. And when he asked her why, she said with quivering lips, I should so love to lay my crown at his feet. You know, it was common for Roman emperors to believe that their deity they would come in these triumphal processions and the people would shout, you are worthy. Revelation is showing us they're not. Only Yahweh is worthy. Only he is the true Lord and God. No political or royal figure can take what belongs to him because he is the originator and the sustainer of life. Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the crystal sea, cherubim and seraphim, falling down before thee who was stand on and evermore shall be oh that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall will join the everlasting song and crown him lord of all will 
will join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. What a song. John's vision shows Christians in Asia Minor that worship in the emperor's cult. It is a farce. And it is a far cry from what's happening in the throne room of God. Caesars, kings, not even our greatest presidents, whether you may think it is is Washington, Lincoln, Roosevelt, Kennedy, Reagan, Obama, Trump, or Biden, none of these created the world. None of these are eternal. They have no control over our ultimate hope. And while the presidents do not claim to be deity as they did in the Roman Empire, Sometimes we are tempted to place all our hope and trust in political leaders and to give them honor and glory and dominion over the one who sits on the throne. I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned about what happens in our world, but neither should we panic. The very first thing he shows us before he brings us to the earth with all the chaos that these early Christians were going to deal with, is he shows us the throne of God. He shows us that he's the one that's in charge. He has a plan, and he is going to defeat evil. The vision also reveals something about us. It takes us back to the song of of the four living creatures who never stop singing in Revelation or back in Isaiah. Holy, holy, holy. Did you know this is the only attribute of God that is ever repeated? And that is because it is the summation of all that he is. His utter and complete separation from all evil, untainted by wrongdoing or wickedness, unlike angels, some of whom we know have sinned, and certainly unlike us who all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. Isaiah saw this familiar vision that John is being given, and his response is in shock, and he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, Yahweh of hosts. He recognizes his uncleanliness, not because of somebody on earth that's better than him. He's not comparing himself to others, but because he stands before a holy, holy, holy God. Nothing banishes human pride and competition and agendas better than a taste of God's holiness, the one who sits on the throne. What is there that God, the one who sits on the throne that is given to us in his word, what is there that we challenge? Say, it's not important. Who are we to look at this and say, well, you know what? I live a pretty good life. I don't think I need Stand before his holiness. 
knowing that, what hope do we have when God's justice is finally going to reign on the earth? I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a world that is tainted and impure and sinful. That's why next week is going to be so important and we get into chapter 5 because someone suddenly appears. Here's what I want you to do this week. I just want you to spend time in worship to the one who sits on the throne. Just read these passages, this chapter 4, over and over again and just be absorbed by the one who is holy. And allow God's holiness to be the measuring stick of which you examine yourself. Let's pray. Dear righteous and holy Father, we come to you and we pour out our hearts in thankfulness and praise. We give you all the glory and honor and dominion. Father, I pray that if there's any part of our lives that we have not given up, that we've not submitted, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will prick our hearts. Father, you are such a good and great God. You are our hope. And we need you. And I pray for those who may be here this morning, Father, and, and they're just, their heart is bothering them. They're, they're not real sure what, what tomorrow holds. They don't feel like they're good in your presence. Father, help them to see the hope. And help us, Father, to be your servants, to be your hands and your feet, to do those things that you would have us to do to show them who you are and how much you love us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing us into this vision to help give us a clear understanding about who you are, the one who sits on the throne. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.